Thank you for joining us here at BLC. Our purpose is helping people discover and develop a life in Christ. Now here is Pastor Gary Tony. You're having a great week. We are going to wrap up our talk this morning. I'm a doer. Say I'm a doer. So that means if you are a doer, you've been doing your homework, right? Two of you? That's awesome. Yeah, good deal. Here's the thing, guys. When it comes to this, I know some of you have your devotions, your Bible studies, but these things that we ask you to do, I'm going to highlight some things out of the book of James today, because what James will do, what the Bible will do, is it will spark a truth in you that it might just be information but there are, not to get uh, deep right out of the gate, but there are two Greek words that we get our word, word. And one is logos. It's the written word. That's what you read every day. But then the other is rhema. And that's the word that comes alive to you off the page. So you can read the word and get information, but then all of a sudden there's a day that you read the same thing for the 110th time and God speaks to you. And it's at that point that it is no longer just information. It is a revelation that will change your life. And so today, listening to James, uh, looking at some of the things that he's trying to impart. Because if you've been reading James, you will see that James is a pastor that, uh, well, he's pretty direct and in your face about stuff. I don't know if you can relate to that or not. but Because uh, <clears throat> I'm, very, I'm very gentle and tender. What? Thank you, yeah. Right? <laughs> we walk by faith, not by sight, right? Yeah. And, and so as we get into some of this and I bring up some things that the Lord wants to highlight as he taps you on the shoulder, just keep looking forward and sit there and take it, okay? Let's pray. Father, we love you so much. We thank you for your word that it is alive, it is spiritual reality, and it is current for our lives today. So Holy Spirit, speak to us. Stretch our faith. Give us the courage to step out and not just hear, but do. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. James 1.22, he says, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. The enemy doesn't have to do anything to you. If all you do is come get a message and then check the box, I went to church, and then you go back to normalcy, that what you call normal, you're deceiving yourself. James wants us to get to the place where we're stepping out and practice, even when you don't do it right. How many of you, you ever stepped out and tried something and you weren't successful? Yeah? Yeah. If you're not, then you're not trying much. The message says it like this, act on what you hear. Step out and try it. James makes it pretty clear that when we come to God, we need to come with this assurance, with this knowing. Like we said last Sunday, we need to come to God expecting you need to get your mind made up about certain things because remember what we said throughout the talk, faith perceives as real fact what hasn't been revealed to the senses yet. Faith is actually spiritual reality. It is evidence of something that you can't see. And so when you find a promise in the word of God, you've got to get to the place where you're expecting it to happen. And when you don't see an instant result, you're not shaken. Because we're growing in the revelations of the things of God. I know a lot of people, we just want to... We just want to fit things into church life, and then we have our other life outside of that. But you're born again. There's only one life. Even if you're still walking as a baby in the things of God, you're still born again. Jesus looks at you from your new nature. He doesn't see you in your humanity anymore. I'm going to show you some of these things today. And then, and then we, of course, we touched on this last week out of chapter 1, verse 6. He says, so when you come to him, let him ask in faith with no doubting. Now, how do you get to that place where there's no doubt? How, because, can we be real for a second? We doubt. We don't see instant results in things, and we doubt. And so to get to the place where you don't doubt, there's a spiritual transformation that, that has to take place on the inside of, of, of a human, and your soul has to be changed to the degree that you're fully expecting. And you're, like Paul says, you're no longer being moved by the things that you see. You're convinced that what God said is true. You're convinced that what God said is true. You're convinced. That's faith. Faith is this conviction inside you. He says, let him ask in faith with no doubting for he who doubts 
is like a wave that's tossed all over the place. Y'all know anybody that's driven and tossed all over the place? They're everywhere with everything. Squirrel. Yeah, we're all guilty of those things at times. He says, for the double-minded, he says this, let not, that some man, let, not, let not that man suppose he'll receive anything from the Lord because he's double-minded. See, here's the thing. When you're double-minded, you, you know, you're not, set, you're not set. And not only will the enemy mess with you, but your friends will mess with you. Listen to me. Church folk will mess with you. You know, church people, we, we, we want to be right, and we want to be spiritual, and we want to be led by the Holy Spirit, but sometimes we're just carnal. Yeah? And we say things, and, you know, we wish we hadn't said them after we... Yeah, well, if you've been doing your homework, we're going to get into that in just a minute in chapter 3. James deals with you. Yeah? One of the things he highlights in chapter 2 is this. He takes us a step further, and he says that if what we call faith doesn't have a corresponding action, our faith is useless. And then James, and this is one of the things I really love about his letter. My man is pastoral all through it. Remember we talked about this last week, about not grumbling against each other, not backbiting. He goes on to talk about not speaking evil of one another. I don't think we've learned that one yet, but we're working on it, right? You know, people don't like change, man. You make the slightest little change. I know we make a change in the church that you don't like. Oh, you let everybody, you quick to let everybody know that one. Your boss makes a change that you don't like. Oh, you're quick to, you'll let everybody but him know. Huh? Yeah. We don't like that stuff. And it's just human nature to gripe. So use your faith not to gripe. Ask the Lord to give you the strength. Are you ready for this? To shut up. <laughs> Seriously, man. See, you have to put some action to what you say you believe. And those are some of the things that James deals with. In chapter 2, he highlights this in verse 8. He says, yes, indeed, it is good when we obey the royal law of Scripture. Did you know there was a royal law in the Scriptures? I know I didn't, I didn't, well, I mean, I did for a while. I'm a pastor. I should know these things. But there was a long time that I didn't really put the two together. He calls this royal law, it's, it's love. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then he makes this statement that we don't want to, we, we don't, I, I, I thought I should highlight it. I know you probably don't want to hear this. But if you favor some people over others, I know, uh-oh, yeah, what's that say? <clears throat> You're doing what? If you favor somebody over another person, you're committing, <laughs> like James, come on, Pastor. Can you take that one out of the notes? Yeah, there are, I mean, he drops little truth bombs all through his letter like this. The royal law is love. Jesus said it like this. He said, all the law and all of the prophecies of the Old Testament are fulfilled in this one saying, love God and love people. Love. And I can assure you that it is going to take great faith to walk in love sometimes. Y'all okay? Yeah. You know, Paul tells us in the book of Galatians that actually love is the only way that faith works. And so you, you follow James and you're listening to him give these inspirational words of encouragement and at the same time correction as a pastor. And then he gets really bold with this statement in verse 26. He says this because just like your body without the spirit's dead, so is your faith without an action that, that accompanies it. So if you say you believe something, show up. Let me see something. And as James is talking about faith and actions, faith and works, faith going together with the things that you do, he goes straight in to how we talk. Now, y'all be cool this morning, okay? Because the way we talk doesn't really represent our born-again nature all the time. How many of you, you ever found yourself being more, how should I put this? More emotion-led than spirit-led. 
Thanks, Michaela. Two of us, yeah. <laughs> and what happens is when you're emotion-led instead of spirit-led, it comes out. <laughs> you ever notice that? So don't make the mistake of thinking that James has left the subject of faith when he starts talking about the power of the tongue in chapter 3. Because words, they're one of the most effective methods that a believer can use to actually act on what you believe. That's not just saying empty stuff. Remember, it's got to be rhema in you. It's not just saying things. Some people say, oh, don't make that bad confession. No, it actually has to be a truth inside you. I've used this illustration many times. I could sit in my garage the rest of my life saying I'm a brand new Harley. I will never be a Harley. See, it's that, that's, that's just out of balance. Oh, don't say that. That's out of balance. You have to believe in your heart and say something. This is how spiritual realities work. Romans says that actually, believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. And what happens? You'll be saved. In the, uh, Paul's letter to the Corinthian church, he says this, we believe and therefore we speak. You should be talking what you believe, but what comes first? You got, you got to get your believing fixed. So let's, let's take a look at this, James chapter 3. <clears throat> let's start in verse 1, brothers and sisters. Now before he gets into talk, he, he gives us some instruction here. Brothers and sisters, not, now this is the new living, not many of you should become teachers in the church. Thanks, James. It's real encouraging. Why not? For we who teach will be judged more strictly. Now listen very carefully. He's talking about two things here. Number one, we will be judged as we, because every one of us will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, the, the great white throne judgment of God is God judging the world for people that don't know Jesus. But the judgment seat of Christ is Jesus judging every one of us for our assignment. Paul goes into great detail about this in his letter to the Corinthian church. You are going to have a conversation. You get called to the principal's office. And you are going to have a conversation with Jesus about what he told you to do here. I know a lot of people that don't want to do all that church stuff. I mean, I'm going to, preacher, I'll come listen to you as long, long as you bring it. I'll come listen to you. But all that other, uh, no, I don't have time for that. I got to make a living. I got to raise, I got, I got life. And you are still deceived because you think your little window of time in humanity is life. This guy, James, he says this side of humanity is like the morning fog. Poof, and it's gone. So we will. So he says, guys, not many of you should be a teacher because you will be judged more strictly. The other side of that is people. Once you step into that role and you start teaching and doing things in the body of Christ for the church, then you get judged differently. I'm talking about y'all judging me. Just, just make it plain for you. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Listen, y'all all hallelujah me as long as I say what you like. But then when I come, when I get up here and start talking about you running your mouth, I'm, I'm, I'm getting ready to read the Bible. So, yeah. Verse 2. Indeed, we all make many mistakes. Say all. We all make many mistakes. For if we could control our tongue, he didn't say when you control it, he said if you could control it, we would be perfect. Now that word doesn't mean flawless, it means mature. If we could control our tongue, we would be these mature people and we could also control every other way. You can control yourself in every way. You can control your life, he's saying. He says, he gives us some examples. We make large horses go wherever we want by the means of a small bit in their mouth. He says, a small rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses to go, even with the strong wind. We would say, like today, a steering wheel in a car, a, a small component, whether it's a sports car or it's a big semi-truck, that little steering wheel controls the direction of that. James is saying, your tongue is like that. 
And then he says this in verse 5, in the same way, the tongue is a small thing that makes these grand speeches, but a tiny spark could set up a great forest on fire. See, sometimes this is what the Proverbs meant, be swift to hear, slow to speak. The proverb also says this, that where there are many words present, sin is not far, far away. See, if you're running your mouth all the time, some of you are like, you talking about me or, I'm not talking about anybody. I'm just, I'm, like I said earlier, if the Lord's dealing with you, Sometimes being quick to hear and slow to speak is a spiritual reality because, because a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. I mean, some of you looking at me now like, mm-mm, you're giving me that look. Like, don't go there. I'm there. <laughs> I'm, already, I'm already in it, so just love me or, you know, get your ear pods out. You, know, <laughs> you can turn me off. But our mouth. How many of you have ever said anything, and the minute you said it, you knew? Yeah. Let me tell you real quick. This, is, this happened to me a, a, a few days ago. Because when you, when you get on the gossip train, boop, boop, when you get on the gossip train, so often it's like a snowball going downhill. And it just picks up speed, and the next thing you know, you're in the middle of it, and you're right there participating. And I made a statement the other day, and uh, the Lord dealt with me about it. I got home, and he dealt with me about it again, and he said, you need to let your staff know you were wrong. I know. Some of y'all can't even say wrong. <laughs> so the next morning, I come in, and I'm like, hey, guys, I got to let y'all know something. <clears throat> this, I, this thing I did yesterday, that's not right. Can you do that? I know some of you are like, oh, yeah, I can do that. Let me ask your spouse. Huh? Yeah. What James wants us to understand, he, he's tried to get us to, to realize that what we say, because you are born again. You are a son or daughter of God. And there is spiritual authority that is connected with what you say. And when you get to the place where you have revelation of this, you should be speaking the right things over your situation, over your life. You shouldn't just be griping and complaining all the time, especially if you got a Victory Life t-shirt on. Come on, man. Or any kind of, you know, some of you, you want to preach Jesus all the time, but then your coworkers hear you. They're like, mm. y'all with me? Well, let, let's keep going since we're knocking it out of the park here. <laughs> Verse 10, and so, because he's talking about what we say, the power of our words, so blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. Surely, brothers and sisters, this is not right. Does a spring of water bubble up with both fresh water and bitter? Does a fig tree produce olives? Does a grapevine produce figs? No. And you can't draw fresh water from a salty spring. See, there is going to be a time when you have to use your faith to control your tongue. God, your word says this. Holy Spirit, you are my helper. Help me with this. Now, here's the thing. I'm going to talk about some things in a minute with humility that the Lord will deal with you about. But one of the things I do when it comes to this, I ask the Holy Spirit to remind me of things so that I don't have, so that he doesn't have to teach me something through an experience. But we hard-headed, aren't we? Yeah, because he, he, he's dealt with you a hundred times about this. Yeah, but I just couldn't, Pastor, you don't understand. She made me mad. He made me mad and I couldn't help it. Well, first of all, you know what that is. That's a lie. <laughs> it is. You could have helped it. You just yielded to your carnal nature. As transformation takes place, though, and you begin to practice this by exercising some faith and God giving you some strength, you will be able to control your tongue. 
And since it takes faith to do the things that God reveals to us through the word, yielding our tongue to his word, it takes faith. And it won't happen on accident. But you can yield your speech to the things of God. You know, Jesus said this, I only say what I hear the Father say. Well, first of all, for us, that means you got to be listening close enough for God to hear him say, don't, don't say that. Come on, I better try this again. Listen, <clears throat> y'all might be able to relate because you, you know you, you just down, down in here. You already know. Don't, don't say that. Huh? But there's, there, there's like the demon on this one or the angel and the devil and they're going back and forth in your head. Say it, say it. Don't say it. Say it. And there's a battle raging. You ever been there? Yeah. That, that's, how, that's how human nature works. And sometimes it takes faith. And this is what James is talking about. Because remember this, guys. You are a doer, right? Say, I'm a doer. Yeah, you are. You're getting this. Everything about God and his word, it was spoken into existence. Let me take things a step further for you. This will stretch some of you today. God's original plan for his words was much more than just communication. God's words are creative. He spoke things into existence. He put things in motion that are still in motion. Light is still being. I mean, it's crazy when you think about what's all out there for us. See, the earth was the seed. It was the first. And it fell into the curse. But the earth was the seed planted into the universe that was supposed to expand all over the universe. But it, we fail. But that's going to be restored one day. And then my wife, she'll get to run, run the rings of Saturn. Like, babe, when you, I'll be back a couple years, I'm going to run the rings of Saturn. She likes to run. Like, go on. She asked me, say, do you want to go out and run with me? I'm like, let me think about it for a second. <laughs> no, yeah. Words have, see, now, because that's how you, think about it. Let's, let's simplify things. That's how you were born again. We've got to take religion off the table, you all. This is a spiritual reality. This is how you get born again. You believe Jesus left a world you can't see, comes to this one, dies a physical death, rises from the dead. Now you have the opportunity to join him because he's the firstborn. Let me say it like this. Jesus is the sample son. I know some of y'all like, mm, some of y'all like that, didn't you? He's the sample. We're supposed to watch him and do it like he did it. And a big part of that is our words. Jesus actually says this in Luke chapter 6. I am actually quoting Jesus. A good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, brings forth good. An evil man, out of the evil treasure in his heart, brings forth evil. Watch this very carefully. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. All you got to do is put a little pressure on something and you see what you're full of. Because according to this, from the abundance of what's in you, that's, that's what's coming out, Jack. That's what you're going to talk. So what if, what if you were so full of the word of God and every time the pressures of the world and society and life pushed on you, the word just come flying out? Well, first of all, some of your friends will think you're weird. You know, your co-workers like, what, man, that dude, he's always talking the Bible. Can't he just have a regular conversation? To us, that is a regular conversation. Now, that doesn't mean that you're a modern-day Pharisee and you're critical and judgmental of other people. You're just practicing. And you don't have to, listen, when, you, when the Word of God, you, this is the lesson that some of y'all need to take home today. When the Word of God comes out of you, you don't have to give a scriptural reference. Just let it flow, man. You just... Listen, I'm telling you, if you just talked the things of God out of your life, some of your coworkers would be like, man, that dude is so smart. Where did he get that wisdom from? And you don't have to try to impress them. Well, that was Proverbs. Something, something. No, stop. Huh? We have to learn how to speak the word of God. You remember the story when God spoke to Ezekiel? He said, hey, can these bones live? And Ezekiel's like, well, only you know that, God. <laughs> what kind of question is that? And then God says this, Ezekiel, 
prophesy to the bones. That's weird. Okay, they're in the ground. They've been there so long, it's just bones. Speak to bones. So, what about today? Huh? Who's God's voice in the earth today? You should be prophesying over your situations, over your children, over your family, over your career, over your life. See, everything about God was spoken. Remember, the rudder on a ship, the bit in a horse's mouth. James makes it very clear that your tongue, what you say, sets the course of your life. Even though the Old Testament is full of history, man, the prophetic revelations that you will find there that are spoken are just as real today. I love to look through the Old Testament and see the Word of God. Surely goodness and mercy follow me all the days of my life. My Father has set a table before me in the presence of my enemies. My cup runs over. I am the head and not the tail. I'm above only and not beneath. God goes before me. He arms me. When you get that in you, it's kind of like, you know, I used this illustration a few weeks ago when, you, when we were old school and you had the car and your gas gauge was broke. When you filled the tank up, you had your, the way you found out it was full, it, it splashed out on you. See, this is James's point, or that's, this is Jesus' point in Luke. From the abundance, what you're full of in the abundance of your heart, man, it's going to come out of you. Start prophesying your life. Speak the things of God over you. And as I'm thinking about this, the Lord took me to a, a scripture that probably, I don't know, Robbie, I may have read the, in my one-year Bible, I read it. But outside of that, I've never, I haven't, I don't really spend a lot of time in the book of Amos. Amos is a prophet. Andy, you're going to appreciate this though, man. Let me, let me set this up for you. Because the children of Israel, God's people, they have been serving under godly anointed kings and the nation is prospering like crazy. And it's blowing up and everybody's living large and things are going great. And then all of a sudden they get their eyes off of the Lord. And things begin to shift. And that prosperous nation, all of a sudden you see divide and, and turmoil and tragedy and difficult. Sound, sound familiar? Yeah. It's, a fu it's funny when you go back and look through the window of scriptures what God will show you. And God began to deal with his people. Who's his people today? The church is. And I'm telling you, the church has fallen into this same thing that Amos is talking about. And we've been relaxed and just enjoying the blessings and all the stuff. And we come in our four walls. Oh, you got a new video wall. Oh, you got some new law. It's beautiful. Yay. And we forget. And we drift. But they got the revelation of it. And the people of God repented. And before anything even happened, they repented and said, God, we've changed our motive. We've changed our heart. And listen to what God says through the prophet. Now, I love the message paraphrase here. It says this in, verse, in chapter 9, verse 13. Yes, indeed, it, will not, it won't be long now, God's decree, or more traditional, thus says the Lord. Won't be long now. Things are going to happen so fast your head will swim. Things are happening fast sometimes, aren't they? Yeah. Huh? One thing fast on the heels of another. You won't be able to keep up. Everything will be happening at once and everything you look to, everything is blessing and blessing. Come on, somebody. You have, that's right, you have to receive this. This is a prophetic word that God is reminding the church today. Listen, I'm not done with you all. Paul says, you are the epistles of Christ today. You are, you are not written with ink, but by the Spirit of the living God in your spirit. You should show up as the Word of God every day of your life, expecting it's going to happen so fast, it's going to make your head swim. Like Ezekiel, like so many of God's people, what if we started prophesying our future? Like the Apostle James says, what if we started using our words to set the course of our life? I am strong in the Lord and the power of his might. The Lord has anointed me to do this. What, all that I put my hand to is blessed. I'm blessed going in and coming out. I'm blessed. 
What if it starts happening so quick that it makes your head swim? Like, Lord, I can't, I don't know, I don't know if I've experienced that. Lord, I can't take any more blessing. Can you hold I'm, I'm, I'm getting dizzy. <laughs> huh? I don't, I don't know if I'm there yet. Start speaking the things of God over your life. Take the word of God. Take the, your mouth and begin to set the course of it. Here's a thought. If you're not there yet, what if, think about this for a second, what if, we just started with this. What if we just, if we stopped using our words just to describe situations and start using them to change situations? Instead of talking the problem all the time, talk the solution. Prophesy to your life. Speak to your mountain. You remember that story in, in Mark chapter 11, verse 23. Jesus says this. I, he, and he starts like this. I tell you the truth, anyone, who's that? Anyone who will say to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea and not doubt in your heart, but believe the thing that you will say will come to pass, you will have what you say. Amen. Now, who said that? Jesus said that. Now, is Jesus confused? Was he playing mind games? Was it just for a certain season in life? He said anyone that believes in their heart and says this, you speak to your mountain. Stop talking about the problem and start telling it what to do. See, this is the thing James wants us to understand. If we control our tongue, we can control our lives. And regardless of the revelation that God has for us, I can say this with absolute certainty that the more authentic we are in our devotion, in our pursuit of Jesus, the more willing we're going to be to take steps of faith in things that don't make sense. We're going to be willing to step out in things that, that don't fit our logic or our intelligence. Preacher, are you saying for me to speak to my situation? Amen. I'm not saying it. Jesus said it. You know, that's one thing we say, well, the preacher told us this. No, I'm quoting Jesus. See, you should, you should speak over your children's lives every day. You are brilliant. You are sharp, good looking, a major blessing. You're, in, you're getting ready to blow up on somebody and change the world. And they're laying there and you're praying over in bed and they're like, Mom, what is wrong with you? Because they've never heard you talk like that before. Well, it'll be crazy in the beginning. But then all of a sudden when we get used to it and we're like, oh, this is how we live. We're people of faith. Prophesy your life. Why? Because you're a doer. Yeah? Remember Nehemiah? We highlighted him throughout this talk. Nehemiah is one of these guys. He shows us. He shows us that all God is looking for at the end of the day, all God is looking for is somebody that will just roll up their sleeves and say, okay. I'm your guy, Lord. And then he says, do, and you're like, what? L forgive them. Love them. Give them something. Oh, heck no. Huh? See, the truth is, this is something that you need to take home today. At the, you know, God uses everyday people, you all. I mean, there's no other kind. And, and what he's looking for are those that are just willing to take the next step in faith to yield to his leading so that he can advance his kingdom because we're his body on the planet. He's going to use us. Tomorrow morning, he's going to use you somewhere, maybe at your job, maybe on your campus, wherever it might be. God, if you're willing to step out and take some steps of faith, God will use you. This is James's point when he's trying to get us to understand these things, these assignments, these requests that he's asking us to do. I mean, he's full of instructions for believers, and, and all of them will require faith on our part. James says this in chapter 3, if you are wise, if you're wise, if you're wise and you understand God's ways, prove it. Prove it by living an honorable life. Y'all know anything about living an honorable life? Doing good works with humility. Say humility. humility. Yeah. He goes on to deal with stuff like jealousy. <laughs> Pastor's job is tough sometimes, you know. Selfishness. Selfishness is probably one of the biggest issues 
on the planet today. Selfishness. I was reading an article the other day. This, I won't say the person's name, but they're a, with a B, billionaire. And in their mind, they think they can manipulate stuff because they got so much money. Billionaire. I mean, who, who needs a billion dollars? Now, want is not the same as need. But see, some of you all, you, you're not, you're not going to get the billion, you're not going to get the million because you'd be somewhere with an umbrella and you drink forgetting about Jesus. I really thought that'd be funny, but I guess I hit a nerve. Yeah, like, no. It's not funny, Reverend, because you're probably right. <laughs> huh? Jealousy, selfishness. These are things that the Lord is dealing with people in this. And then in chapter 4, he starts talking about people's motives. Uh, what about that? What about you? you ever check your motives? Why are you doing it? You know, a lot of people just step out and do stuff. And then they want to add God to it. Now, it doesn't work like that. And then once again in chapter 4, he brings this humility up again. And then in verse 6, he makes this statement. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. You see, humility makes adjustments. You've heard me say this. Pride makes excuses. See, pride is always, well, it's always somebody else's fault. That's what pride will always do. Somebody else did it. You know, I, I did my part. No, it was some, no, it's just a bunch of pride, man. And in the eyes of God, he can't stand it. He actually, how many of you want to be resisted by God? Mm -mm. No. He resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And I can tell you, when you follow Jesus, without a doubt, one of the greatest characteristics that you're going to see displayed in his life is humility. Let me, let me show you something. Because when you look at the life of Jesus, matter of fact, he associates humility with great faith. Matter of fact, there's only two times in the scriptures when you follow the life of Jesus. There's two stories. There's the centurion soldier and the Canaanite woman. These are the only times in the Bible that Jesus uses the term great faith. And both of them were these huge displays of humility. The centurion soldier, now I don't know if you've done any study in history, but a centurion soldier is a very powerful individual in the community. In the, in the political arena, he, I mean, back in that time in Roman history, if, you, if he wanted you dead, you dead. It wasn't a, well, let's, let's take it before the court. No. And this guy finds out about Jesus and gets a revelation of who he is. And he goes and he's telling Jesus about his servant. That's dying. And Jesus says, well, I'll come heal him. Now watch this. And the centurion said this, Lord, he humbles himself here. He says, I know who you are. I am not worthy that you even step in my house. You got to see the humility in this. He's a, I don't think you, could, you, you can respect the, what's happening here. He's a centurion soldier. He's a very high-ranking commander in what he does. The Roman army, Rome ruled the world. And he says, I know who you are. I'm not, I'm not worthy. But because I know who you are and I understand authority, just speak the word. And Jesus said, I've never seen faith like this in the nation of Israel. And then the Canaanite woman comes to Jesus, same deal, come heal my daughter, and Jesus calls her a dog, said, I'm not sent to you, I'm just sent to the lost sheep of Israel, I'm not sent to you, your kind? Mm -mm. Let's let the children have their bread, and she said, Lord, even dogs eat the crumbs, and she, the Bible says that she worshipped him, humility. Humility is a rare quality in today's society. We're so entitled thinking and we think we've arrived because we've got a title or a degree. Let me show you something. I'll get you out of here. Man, y'all listen really good today. Matthew chapter 12. Let me show you an example of this with Jesus. Because Jesus was on the scene. And in Matthew 12, you have to realize no, the, the church world of that day 
They wanted to kill Jesus because he was going completely against their religious stuff. And in this particular case, Jesus shows up in one of the synagogues and he's preaching. And the Bible says that all the Pharisees and the teachers of the law are sitting around waiting. you got to see the motive in the heart of this. They're sitting around waiting to see if Jesus is going to heal on the Sabbath. Now, what kind of twisted junk is that? Oh, you can heal on Friday afternoon, but not on the Sabbath. And they're waiting to see because even the Pharisees got enough faith in the fact that Jesus can heal. And they're waiting to see if he's going to do it against their religious code. And he says, hey, guys, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. And then he turns to this man with a withered hand and he tells him, and I guarantee you, I would love to be in the room, but I guarantee you, he, he, he tells the, the guy with the withered hand, come up here. And he puts his hand out and he looks at him and then he looks at them. He says, stretch out your hand. And I, I bet he's staring at him. Stretch out your hand. And the Bible says they wanted, at that point, they wanted to kill him. Verse 15, but Jesus knew what they were planning so he left that area, and many people followed him, and he healed all the sick among them. But he warned them not to reveal who he is. See, I know a lot of religious people teach, well, that's why Jesus did all this healing, so he could prove who he was. Well, then why would he tell people not to tell them who he was? If he, that's a bunch of religious junk, man. No, he, he did just the opposite. Guys, you all have heard me use this illustration. If Jesus wanted to prove who he was. He could have pulled a scene out of the X-Men. He could have just went and took all the people, like, just raised everybody. So just so y'all know, I am God. But he didn't do any of those things because he's walking in humility. He laid all godliness and deity aside. Verse 17, he did this to fulfill the prophecy of Isaiah concerning him. Look at my servant, servant whom I have chosen. He is my beloved who pleases me? Let me stop with this for just a second. Now, this is the New Living, and I love how the New Living reads. It has this wonderful flow to it. But sometimes in their attempt to make it flow, they miss something. The more traditional writing here in this passage says this. Look at my servant whom I'm well pleased, or whom I am chosen. He is my beloved in whom I am well pleased. Past tense. Now, yes, it says pleases him, and that is true. But that's not the fullness of the truth. Because Jesus hasn't done anything yet. But God, through prophetic words speaking, he says, that's my son. Isaiah looking ahead to the cross, that's my son whom I am well pleased. I will put my spirit on him and he will proclaim justice to the nations. Watch this. And he will not fight or shout or raise his voice in public. I want you to see the humility in Jesus here. Guys, Jesus never led a riot, never led a protest. None of that nonsense. He didn't do any of that. He was quiet. He was meek and lowly. Verse 20 says this, he won't even crush a weak reed or put out a flickering candle. What's that mean? Jesus was, was so sensitive and humble. Even if he saw a broke, he'd step around it. None of this I am the son of God stuff. I am the lamb of God slain before the foundations of the world. And then Isaiah says this, but finally, he will cause justice to be victorious. And his name will be the hope of the world. But in his humility, when Jesus was baptized, you gotta understand this is what God spoke from heaven. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. See, here's something that we, we need to see here. God was pleased with Jesus before he did the first thing in ministry. God was pleased with Jesus before he did the first thing as our Savior. See, the Father saw his heart, his motive. The Father saw faith in his life. And one of the biggest mistakes that you and I make today so often, we've come to the conclusion that we've got to accomplish something. We've got to get it done. We've got to practice this. We've got to see results before the Father's pleased with us. But Jesus shows us just the opposite. He's pleased with you. And what if I mess up like he didn't know? He's pleased with you. You are in Christ. You are one of his beloved. 
Now, do you need to step out and try and do? Absolutely. But when you fail, get, get yourself up and brush yourself off. It is so vital to the believer that we understand this is what James wants us to get. This is how you're going to be able to do the things that these, these things that James says do. Some of them are difficult things. God was pleased with Jesus before he actually did the assignment. You think about it for a second. The book of Hebrews tells us that it's impossible to please God. How? Without faith. So you've got to believe that God already has already called you and ordained you and positioned you for things. See, in Christ, God is pleased with you. Right where you're at right now. Yeah, but what about my junk? No, no, what about you? You got junk. Anybody in here doesn't have any junk? Well, come on. Take, you can take over. Oh, no, I'm pretty good, Pastor. Okay. What about the one I read a while ago about you commit sin if you show favoritism? How you doing with that one? James actually goes on to say this, to him who knows to do good and doesn't, what's it say? All right, I rest my case. Because I know there's things you know to do. See, this, this is going to be a great motivator for us today when we understand that God is pleased with us. He's cheering us on. He knows we're going to mess up and he knows we're going to make mistakes. But when you step out in faith and you trust him and you don't quit, that's the thing that God wants us to understand. I mean, let's be real. When you look at the life of Jesus, I mean, he got all kinds of results, right? Yeah. But let me ask you this, guys. Could Jesus have quit? Some people are like, I, well, no, he's Jesus. No, no. Go back to the Garden of Gethsemane. He's, he's crying before the Lord. He's sweating blood. Father, is there any other way? Then he makes this bold statement. Not my will, but yours be done. You see, knowing this truth makes it much more enjoyable for us as we draw closer to God in a more authentic relationship, knowing that he has forgiven us, knowing that he has made us whole, he has cleansed us. We are righteous in his sight. When we step out and do the things that he's instructing us to do in letters like the Apostle James teaching us to be doers of the word and not hearers only, teaching us to step out in faith, teaching us to use our words to control our life, to draw closer to him. In chapter 5, he wraps things up with this. He says, the fervent, heartfelt prayer of a righteous man makes tremendous power available, dynamic in its workings. That's you and me. And all of our brokenness and all of our attempts that we fail at when we're humble before the Lord, because what does he do? He exhausts the humble. And you begin to step out in faith and you exercise these things that God has shown you to do, regardless of what your circumstances, regardless of what your intelligence, regardless of what your emotions or your physical state is telling you, you begin to do the word of God. Prophesy your life. Speak to it. Become a doer. Begin to believe in your heart that these things are real and they're for you today. Amen? <clears throat> I can assure you of this, as you take these steps of faith, God's going to honor that in your life. The Bible is full of people that God used that were willing to step out and say, okay, God, here I am. Use me. That's the thing that God's looking for. The Bible's full of those stories, drawing closer to Him putting on our new man, making room for transformation in our life. That means that you refuse to allow the old carnal human nature, refuse to allow your past, refuse to allow other people's opinions and circumstances to interfere with what God's doing in your life. Because you are this great overcomer. You can do it because the Spirit of God lives inside you. Sometimes you just need to be stirred up a little bit. Amen? So regardless of what you have or you don't have, regardless of the challenges, the disappointments, the criticisms, let this kingdom of heaven reality settle into your thinking today. I'm a son or daughter of God. God's not finished with me. Huh? And sometimes it's just like Zechariah sums it up perfectly. God says this, how dare you despise the day of small beginnings? You got to step out. What if it's not right? Okay, chances are all of it won't be right. I could tell you over the years as a pastor, Cody and I were talking, he asked me the other day, he said, man, what was it like when you started? When was that? And I said, well, that was my first church was 
in Florence, Kentucky back in 2000. He said, whoo. I'm like, what's that mean? <laughs> well, I've been doing it for a minute now. And there's some of y'all that were with me the whole time. Small beginnings, little steps. And then we come to Georgetown and we start in the lobby or in, in a conference room at the Best Western Hotel. And our first week there, my praise and worship leader quits. Because we wouldn't let her, I mean, it was really her dad, but we wouldn't let them have their way. Like, no, this is how we're, this is Victory Life Church. We're like, oh, no, I do it like this. Like, not anymore. So what we what we do the next Sunday? We played CDs. Y'all remember CDs? Some of you still got them? <laughs> Don't despise the day of small beginnings. Mother Teresa says it like this. I love this statement. I'm going to get you out of here with this. Our strength lies in being faithful in the little things. So when it comes to you being a doer of the word, it's not taking these bold, giant steps of faith. Sometimes it's taking little steps of faith and telling your mouth what to do. Huh? Choosing to walk by faith and put on the royal law of love. Speaking to your mountain and commanding it to move. And when it pushes back, you don't, you don't even blink an eye. Getting to that place is found in the book of James. Say, I'm a doer. Yeah, that wasn't, I, 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 I wasn't convinced with that. Let me hear one. Say, I'm a doer. Okay, that's a little better. I think they may have heard you in heaven that time. <clears throat> Guys, it all starts with this truth. You have to belong to Jesus for any of this to work. I know there's all kinds of views and opinions and religious ideas and denominational philosophies. I get it. No, no, no. One way. Jesus said there's only one way. One way. That's through him. You have to believe that Jesus is who he says he is. That he came to the planet. That he died. And he rose. He rose from. Are you telling me he rose from the dead? If you don't believe that, you're not saved. He rose from the dead. And so that's where you start today. So if you're in the room and you've never taken that step of faith, Make your mind up. Okay, I don't know enough about it, but I, I, I choose to believe that Jesus is alive and I want that life. Believe it in your heart, confess it with your mouth. So if you're in the room or if you're watching us or listening to us online, stop for what you're doing for just a second. Let's, let's take care of this. Let's get you into the family of God. I'll make you an offer you can't refuse. That's old school, I know, right? I'm old, man, okay? But you have to start. Believe it in your heart. Confess it with your mouth. Let's all say it together, church family. If you're here, if you're watching, say the prayer with us. Lord Jesus, come into my life and make me new. And from this day forward, Jesus is my Lord. Heaven is my home. And I will never be the same. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you're in the room and you said the prayer, stop by information desk. They've got a gift for you to help you in your journey of faith. Those of you listening or watching, you got to tell some people, man. The greatest thing in your life just happened to you and you belong to the family of God now. For you guys this week, be ready. Ask God for opportunities that you can be a doer of the word and step out and try it. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful week. We love you. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please be sure to click on the subscribe button. For more information on Victory Life Church, check us out at victorylifeky.com. Thank you so much for listening.